Uh, we kind of discovered that that's the way all politicians sound now. Yeah. Yeah. At least to us. Uh, I mean, you just don't even listen anymore. It's like, oh, look at this. They're funny. They're funny. And they're completely out of touch. Um, we show you what is going on today with the border um, and how close you are to winning. Now, this is a very dangerous place to be because everything is falling apart on them. What Texas just did, 25 states signed on to say, that's constitutional. And now will they stand with Texas? Uh, I We don't want a flashpoint. We do want this to go to the Supreme Court. And that should uh, be happening if, if the uh, Biden administration decides to get ugly. That's what we should be looking for. No armed conflict lawyers at the Supreme Court. Let them set it straight because it's very, very clear. But there are those that want chaos. Don't don't do it. Anybody talks that way, just remind them. We have we have an election coming in November. Also, we talk about all of the different things that are happening on the pipe bomb, the January 6th uh, hearings. We have Thomas Massey on. Uh, we have great uh, congressman from Florida who, because of your help, got all of the banks but one in Florida to actually sign up and say, we will not use ESG to debank or to refuse loans. Big, big step. You're winning. You're winning. You'll hear it on today's podcast. Brought to you by Preborn. One of these days, maybe in our lifetimes, it'll be possible that you'll see the abolition of abortion, but it will only happen when we change hearts. And that's why I really like Preborn. Preborn changes hearts. They are saving the moms, not just the babies. Because that's what everybody says. You know, as I'm sitting here in the bar, you only care about the baby. What about the moms? Well, we care about the moms too. We save both. The Ministry of Preborn stands every day for the helpless among us. That, that's including the mom who feels totally helpless. They don't have anybody to help support them. By providing free ultrasounds and postnatal help for up to two years after birth, they're helping to move the needle tremendously, and they need your help. You can save a life through Preborn. One ultrasound is $28, 28 bucks to save a life. Just dial pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Glenn. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Greetings from Texas. Uh, we have Representative Barry Loudermilk. There's a story that we have been trying to get to uh, this week, and we just kept putting it off, putting it off. And I was going to have it next hour. I'm going to try to do it hour three today of the podcast, but I have Carrie Lake on in about half an hour. So, so stand by for that. But Barry has uh, been looking at, into the January 6th committee and the deleted files that contain critical information. They deleted them uh, before the GOP was able to access them. Now they have recovered them, but we're looking for the password, and the password is never. Barry Loudermilk is with us now. Congressman, how are you? 
Good, Glenn. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, and, thank hey, you. Hey, we haven't tried the password never. We, we may just give it a try and see how that works. <laughs> could do hate Trump. Could do scam. I mean, I could go all day on those. Um, Barry, what what is the significance of these files? Well, that is what we don't know. Um, all we know at this point is they were recovered from what uh, a series of hard drives that were given to us that were the hard drives on the computers of the select committee on January 6th. Um, at one point in my uh, communications with Benny Thompson, who was the chairman of the select committee, mm-hmm. Um, regarding videos that he admitted that they didn't keep that are critical to the investigation. And these were the videos of the depositions, which even Liz Cheney in her recent book says was so important that we videotaped so the American people could see the truth. But they decided not to preserve those. Uh, We were communicating with him about that, as well as documents that he sent to the White House and DHS instead of keeping them and giving to us. In his response to me as to what happened to these documents, why didn't he keep them, he mentioned that they handed over four terabytes of digital data to us. The problem is we only had less than three terabytes of digital data. So when we found out that uh, these videotapes were missing, that we searched for those, they didn't exist, he admitted to not keeping those. I don't know where those are. We're still trying to find those. You know, can somebody Um, check? I'm pretty sure... The NSA has a really big storage cloud in Utah. Can we maybe knock on the door and say, hey, uh, are you a lending library? Can we see some stuff? That that is a possibility there. We've even gone to the house recording studio, who is when you normally do a deposition and you have it uh, recorded Uh, video recording, you just call the house studio. This is what they do. They bring in the equipment, they record it, and they keep it, and they make it available to you. And then when you're ready to archive it, you get it from them. What the select committee did was different because when when, uh, Benny Thompson told us he didn't keep any of these, we just went to the recording studio and said, can you give us copies of them? They said, well, we don't have any because they didn't allow us to have any. In fact, they only borrowed our equipment. They wouldn't even use our people to do the recording. So that sounded to me like, wow, this was planned from the beginning. So we hired, uh, trying to figure out where these other one plus terabytes of of data were, uh, we hired an independent outside uh, computer forensics company to take those hard drives and do a low-level scan of them. And uh, as you would expect, a hard drive that someone uses, you're going to find some deleted files. Now, if you see files that were deleted early on in the investigation, you know, it, it's it, it doing work. You delete duplicates, you get rid of things. But what highlighted to us was uh, uh, files, and, and particularly some that were deleted, that they recovered, that were deleted just literally days or hours before the Republicans took control. One of those documents that we were at, was not password encrypted for some reason, it was found in the recycle bin, was related to the depositions that were sent to the White House. So there's a deleted file. Uh, file that was deleted on January 1st, two days before the Republicans took control, related to documents that we know that they had that they sent away and we didn't have access to. There were also 117, I believe the number, of documents that were password protected and encrypted 
that we can see the file names. We can see what type of file it is. And those names don't match anything that we already have. So they are unique documents that I believe we haven't seen before, but we can't get into. So how critical they are, we don't know. Okay, I just so, want somebody to give me the password. So we are uh, – don't we have people that do that? I've seen it, you know, in movies and stuff. You put a little box yeah. over the password and it's like, <laughs> password is cake. Like, <laughs> All right. So anyway, that's my password, by the way. I've got to change it now. But we're talking to uh, Cher- uh, Chairman uh, Barry Loudermilk from Georgia, the um, conservative Republican from Georgia. Um the uh, is is any of this illegal? I mean, aren't you supposed to preserve documents? I know if this happened and Congress wanted information that was on my computer and I just went, whoops, I deleted it all. I think my butt would be in a chair in front of you guys and you'd be I'd be in trouble. Yeah, w- wouldn't yeah, I? And, and it, you could be. Yes, because if you deleted it at a point when you knew that Congress was looking for it or you knew the courts were looking for it. Yes. I mean, you're free to delete anything you want today, but once you know, and they did know or a letter and they did know we sent them letters of preservation. The clerk's office has rules regarding what should be preserved and videotapes of depositions are part of that. So why is nothing happening? Well, we are, We've got to know exactly the extent of where things are. And, you know, my, my number one priority is getting the, the document. password. Yeah. So we can, you know, uh, not only the passwords for these documents, but getting the documents from the White House and Homeland Security that they have. And so uh, we are, for lack of a better term, working with the White House right now. Uh, mm. they, the four depositions they have that are, these are House documents. They are not executive branch. These are documents owned by the House of Representatives. They are White House employees who testified before the committee, and uh, the chairman sent those to the White House. Um, we requested them. They didn't respond, requested them again. They responded and said, okay, we'll send them to you once we redact them. So they sent me four documents that belong to the house so heavily redacted they're literally pages yeah, 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 I, yeah. look barry so what do you think about this let me let got, me let me just offer yeah. i can get on the air now i could probably find somebody that goes by the name of like you know one eye and uh yeah. he can have that thing hacked open you know pretty quickly and we do it you know in the capital you know under supervision and stuff but i think we could get that done i cannot believe with the power and the might of the United States of America, we can't open up those files. Hmm. We're we're going to be looking at. Uh, there's we've contacted some different uh, firms, if you will, that that okay. have technology to try to get into these. Good. Now, some of them say with the new encryption standards, they may not be able to. But we're looking at doing that. In the meantime, we're just trying to find somebody that has the passwords. I, I asked Benny Thompson for him, uh, just a simple letter saying, hey, we found these documents. Not making an accusation here, but uh, we just, they're encrypted. Don't know why you encrypt them, but we need the passwords. And he responded with a three-page letter. Uh, I think he used Ultra MAGA in it about uh, eight or ten times, uh, making all kind of blanket accusations. That seems like obstruction. Said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, seems so, like obstruction. And, and which could be the case. It could be he doesn't know what the committee did for two years. But somebody <laughs> on the staff does. <laughs> okay. Somebody knows I, what those passwords yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, talking to Representative Barry Loudermilk uh, about January 6th, there's one other thing I want to hit quickly. This whole pipe bomb story is falling apart quickly. I mean, all of the January 6th narrative is falling apart. Um, any update on the pipe bomb thing? I mean, this week we we saw the video of an undercover Capitol policeman who was supposedly was just a passerby at the beginning. Now we find out he was Capitol Police. And he spots it, then goes over to the Secret Service. They finish their sandwiches, let kids walk by it before yeah. they get out of their car and, and, you know, then send the robot out to disarm it. What the hell is going on with this? That is a good question. We've been working with uh, Representative Thomas Massey of Kentucky. This is something he want, wanted to take on as a member of the Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Committee. So we've been working closely with him, pulling uh, video records, uh, doing some investigative work ourselves. Um, and uh, you know, we released in the last couple of weeks that it was an undercover Capitol Police officer. But even before we knew that, we have video of the person who placed the pipe bomb. Uh, you can watch him place it the night before, and it was obvious that he was putting it in a place to be found. Yes. The Secret Service had the vice president-elect, Kamala Harris, at that building. They were there sitting literally feet away from this pipe bomb and never saw it. it- I mean— they are supposed to be doing sweeps I of mean, the building before you bring somebody there, and that pipe bomb had sat there from the night before. If you so there's some as, if, as if you look at the pipe bomb, the, if you look at the pipe bomb, it, it was like designed by Megamind. I mean, it's so clear. It's got the kitchen timer on it. It is so yes. clear that it was meant to be found, uh, and that it's a pipe bomb that my dog would have sniffed it out. How did they miss it? Except they did find it 20 minutes before the vote was supposed to go down on Capitol Hill. Wow. And that's where the timer was stopped. It stopped at 20 minutes before the hour or whatever. Wow. What a coincidence that is. And why is it that Kamala Harris, we didn't even know that she where she was and anything about this for a year and how is it that this is the greatest scandal and the darkest day in American history, and yet the people that would gain the most from saying there were two pipe bombs, they planned on blowing up buildings, haven't said a word about it? Why? And the FBI pulls resources from the investigation and moves them over to uh, uh, helping prosecute the people that were there on January 6th. It seems to me a lone pipe bomber would be more dangerous. Yep. That's still out there than grandma and people who have already, you know, uh, even if they did something wrong, which there were people that did. I mean, there was violence that day, but there there are other people that they're spending awful lot of resources on what should be misdemeanor charges um, that you're going to pull resources from investigating a pipe bomb to go after these folks. And and then there's the issue of the gallows, you know, the the infamous gallows that. uh, that Biden is using in his campaign right now. Yeah, and they were question about they were built the night before up, in front yeah, of police. Like six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, why didn't somebody tear that down? Mm-hmm. I mean, with all the security, with all the police, with U.S. Park Police, the FBI, uh, Metropolitan Police, the U.S. Capitol Police, 
in droves all around that area that morning. And we have it all on Why tape. Did not and somebody report it. Yeah, and we have it all on tape, and we can't find the guys that built it, can we? Well, the, the FBI sure hasn't. Yeah, um, that's uh, weird. An uh, invest, uh, independent investigative reporter that's doing tremendous work, much like Steve Baker is, with you have been doing, Thank you. has been working on this, and he's gotten more leads than the FBI has. Yeah, that's and weird. Let me tell you, Steve has done a tremendous job. Um, we we spent a lot of time with him. Of course, he's been in our office looking at videos, and uh, you know he's doing a great service to the American people Thank by you. exposing some some in depth corruption. I know. And, you know our prayers are with him Thank and our you. support with him as well. Thank you. I, I will say everybody at the Blaze, and I, I ask the audience to do the same, pray for him because um, we're expecting him to be arrested any day, and we don't even know the charges, and they won't tell him the charges. Um, and uh, all he did was investigate. He was there just as a reporter exactly. investigating, and uh, now that he's exposing things, all of a sudden, oh, they, they, they're going to file charges, so... Any day. Thank you so much for your help on that and everything else, Barry. Appreciate it. God bless. Well, the American people deserve to know the truth. They sure do. Thank you. Congressman Barry Loudermilk uh, from the great state of Georgia. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the program, Carrie Lake. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> Are you? Yes, it has been a crazy week. Oh, I, I, I bet it has been. Uh, and arrows are coming your way everywhere. Um, so, first of all, you know what? Uh, though? You know what? Uh, actually, no. I think I think a lot of love's coming my way from the people. Oh, Obviously, I think the arrows yeah. arrows have been coming my way for a long time. Yeah. Um, the people are just exactly fed up right now and they're they know this stuff's going on and i think it just verified that they're not wrong this is the kind of world we're living in the corrupt world in washington dc and in politics right so so let's let's start kind of at the beginning you th- this guy was a friend and a co-worker uh he claims that we were friends we were just having conversations um <laughs> Do you record all of your conversations, or is there a reason why you had this conversation taped? Did Let's he do it before? Yeah, go ahead. Why, why, why would I record this? Well, I recorded it because it was about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and I got a call from Jeff DeWitt, who is the, the chairman of the Arizona Republican Party, and he said, hey, what are you doing? I, uh, I got to come over and talk to you. And I said, um... I'm a little busy right now. I'm actually packing for CPAC. I think you were might have been at that CPAC. Yep, I saw you and there. Finishing up, finishing up my book. I, I don't have a lot of time. And he said, well, I'm, I'm right in your neighborhood. I'm, I'm going to be there in five minutes. I have to, what I have to talk to you about, I have to do in person. It can't mm. be. Um, and I said, Jeff, at this point, I, I, a lot of people uh, knew I was spec- I was, there was speculation I was going to run for Senate. And I said, if you're trying to talk me out of running for Senate, because I knew he had some friends who didn't want me to run for Senate, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to entertain that. And he said, no, 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 no. I just, I got to come over, but I have, I can't do it on the phone. What I have to talk to you about. And I just got a bad feeling about it. I thought, is there going to be a threat? What is, why does he have to come to my door and talk to me? I know I would record so, that conversation that's as I well. I recorded it. Yeah. I, I just thought if there's a threat, a threat, if he's going to threaten me, I need to have this on recording. I never even listened to it back until this week. Okay, I, so- I just said, so, okay, go ahead. Okay, so wait a minute. So had he, because 
his resignation letter was bizarre. If I wasn't doing things, I mean, I've had all kinds of conversations with Stu, but this is what I do. This is what I believe in. And if Stu said, I've got some tape and, uh, you know, I'm going to expose it, I would be like, I'd come on and say, go ahead, expose it. We had many conversations. Some of them were difficult conversations, but none of them were unethical or illegal or anything like that. Why would he resign and say, I'm resigning because of her threat that she's got more tapes? Do you have more tapes? And did he do other things like this? No, I don't. I, ha- I don't have more tapes. And that's what is so disturbing about it, that he thinks that wow. his behavior has been so unethical that he thinks there's worse stuff out there. So you never said that you had more tapes to release. You never gave that threat to him. I haven't talked to him, returned any calls, even texted him in a long time. And and this is a bunch of BS. He's saying we're, that I blackmailed him. I didn't even tell him I was putting it out. Usually if, it, if there's a blackmail situation, you say this is going out if you don't right. do that. So He didn't even know. Until, until the uh, media contacted him, for comment, you know, I don't, he didn't know it was going out. Now you said but this, the fact that, go ahead. That he's behaved in a way that he thinks there's, I think that the response he said, there's, there's more damaging video out there or damaging stuff out there. And I'm like, what, what could be more damaging than 10 or That's 11 minutes yeah. of a bribery call? I mean, is there a snuff film out there? What the heck is going right. on with this? Okay, so um, I said when this tape came out, I I was really angry and said, not another dime should go to the GOP. This guy should resign. If if this is illegal, they should be arrested, anybody who was involved. If it wasn't illegal, it should be illegal. Um, And I said, it's not just about this guy in Arizona. The most important thing to me was that uh, a call came from back east. And the way he mm-hmm. said it, it was very knowing. Uh, do you, and you don't have to give any names because if you do, you're, you, you, you're going to, you can get in trouble for slander mm-hmm. or whatever, um, and, you know, unless you have something to, to back it up. Do you have a pretty good idea of who he meant by back east? I don't know. I mean, I've thought about it long and hard. I've got some guesses I could make, but again, I'm not going to do that. The sad thing, though, Glenn, is you could sit there for hours and think about it and come up with a list of 300, 400, maybe 500 people or groups or organizations that it could be. And that it says a lot about the state of our government, the yes. state of our political situation. Um, it, you know, it could be so many different people shows you how corrupt Washington, D.C. is. Um. Okay, so uh, is anybody has anybody reached out to you from back east to say, "Hey, we got to get to the bottom of this"? Anybody no. from the GOP? Nobody. <laughs> no, nobody from the GOP. I've had I've had some great people reach out to me, senators who I think are fantastic. Correct. Who said, "Oh my gosh, yeah, you know, yeah. we can't wait to get you in the Senate. We need somebody who isn't." bought and, and paid for and influenced. And you would think, Glenn, I mean, and I appreciate you for having me on, and we've I've had some great interviews already on this, but the mainstream media, by the way, I went public with this within 24 hours. I went public, I, I flew out of town, went to CPAC, changed my entire speech, and I just talked about this. I said, I just got bribed by a pretty big political person to stay out of politics. You know, basically offering me, what, how much would it take to make you to stay out? 
and I brought my whole speech, I kind of wrapped around this, and mainstream media didn't reach out and say, who bribed well, you? Can I tell you what? something, Carrie? Uh, I mean, I've heard, I've heard those things before. I've had things like this happen to me before, and I've referenced them, but I didn't have a tape. Um, why did you not, because I would have had you on the next day had I thought that you had proof of it, um, and maybe it was just me for just dropping the ball here. Um, why did you wait for the tape to be released or to say, I have a tape of it? Well, I, I didn't want to release, release anything, and I also didn't listen to it. I taped it because I was afraid there was going to be a physical threat, and when there wasn't, I just kind of put the, you know, put that file away and never even dealt with it. But I, I felt that going public with it the next day or within 24 hours when I went on the CPAC stage, and since then, again, mm. this was 11 months ago. Oh, I know. I've had, I've I was there. I heard you, and I it didn't occur to me to ask you if you had evidence of it. And I'm sorry. I I, I should have. No, that's okay. <laughs> well, but uh, I didn't listen to it until this week. I just went, oh my gosh, I I have a recording of that. And I was eating dinner with my husband. My daughter was um, eating dinner with us, and I happened to I tracked it down and found it and hit play while we were eating dinner. And and literally as as vivid as I recalled it, and I think when I did my speech at CPAC, I described it pretty well. Our jaws dropped to the floor. We were shocked. I went, oh, my gosh, this is so much worse than I even remembered it being. And my daughter was shocked. She said, tell me that guy doesn't work in politics anymore. I said, um, he heads up the Arizona GOP. And she said, what are you going to do about it, Mom? And, and I thought, I didn't really want to put that out, but... How disappointing when you're when your kids hear something like that, and then you just sit on it. Well, I didn't want to. Um, I will. I will tell you. You won a primary, did you not? Um, in the in the governor's race, yes. Yeah, but um, no, not yet. In in primary, has- primary happens when <clears throat> in Arizona in August. In August. Oh, jeez. I'm I'm, uh, I'm up forty points uh, against the uh, competitor that I'm running points? against. How many points? How many points? Depending on the poll, 30 or 40 points. Okay, I'm not good. really worried. So primary. here's the amazing thing that, you know, somebody back east, powerful people really want you to go away. They don't want you in the Senate. I know that there is a big Senate fund and I'm not making any accusations, but I know there's a big <laughs> Senate fund that is uh, that the GOP has that is controlled by one individual who does have a... Um, a pattern of supporting people that are not MAGA at any cost, even if it means we lose a Senate race. Um, and uh, they're not going to get behind you. First of all, if you're leading by 30 or 40 points, then it, you're the obvious candidate. Let the people of Arizona decide, but you should right. be getting support from the GOP. And if somebody is is trashing our system and they are offering bribes so people go away, that all has to be exposed. I can't call out corruption on the other side if I don't call it out on our side. Oh, 100%. I, I, don't, I don't want corruption anywhere. I don't want it on the left. I no, don't want I don't it either. on the right. And right now, Glenn, it seems like we have a lot of corruption in the Republican Party. And there's just this, you know, and I think a lot of it is resistance to Trump. They don't want Trump running. And I don't know if it's because he's going to re- reveal a lot of the corruption. Frankly, I want people going to Washington, D.C., who Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. doesn't. Oh, I, me too. So, <clears throat> and, you know, 
the, the media now is covering this and they're trying to, oh, he was just offering her a job. It's like, no, no, no. And they're just, you know, you talked about it. You have conversations with your friends. You run a business. Have you ever had a conversation like, this is not normal. No. Anybody no. who runs a business, if this is the kind of normal conversations you're having, you're probably in the mafia. Well, quite honestly, I mean, it makes, it, it, it says a lot about people who leave Congress uh, and before they run for another higher office, they go to work for these companies uh, and seem to bide their time. Um, there have been accusations by the guy who did it that you edited the tape. Is there any truth to that? I, I put 11, 10 or 11 minutes that involved the bribe. And I don't know how you could say that was, I, I forget the word he used. Um, Out of context. Uh, so yeah, some sort of out of context. How do you take 10 minutes of bribery out of context? I, I mean, this Stu and I were talking about this yesterday, and I said the only way it can be taken out of context is if the sentence before was, everything I'm about to say, I'm totally making up, Carrie. That, that's <laughs> or, the only way to take or, it out of context. Or I got to describe a scene from a movie I yes. just watched. Yes. Here's how it went. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, is, but that, but the tape you gave us is. You said it was creative editing, right? Yes, the, the tape I gave you is is an honest tape. I pulled ten or eleven minutes. I forget. I think it's a little over ten of him trying to bribe me. But you did not splice around or edit anything nope. out of those eleven minutes. Nope. Okay. It's all of the bribery part, I and mean, I didn't say, "Hey, welcome." I can I got you a cup of coffee. All of that. But, you, you know, this is this is this is not taken out of context. This is not cre- creative editing. Creative editing would be a 30 yeah. second clip. Yeah. This is, okay. this is a conversation about him bribing me. So there's no ifs, ands and buts. And he's afraid there's worse stuff out there. It tells you a lot about him. So, Carrie, yep. you're a you're a former news anchor for many years. You know how this works. Um, and, uh, it is shocking to me that you have evidence of the GOP being dirty and the mainstream media won't pick it up. You'd think this would be a story they would run with forever. Well, and, and they, they have picked it up. And I think initially they were like, what do we do with this? Because I am the, I am the person second to Trump that they like to bash over and, and just spread lies about and lie about. And so they, they picked it up and they covered it. And now they're like, oh, wait, what are we going to do? We've got a GOP guy uh, bribing her and they love to attack the GOP, but yet we can't ever make her look good. So how do we cover this? I mean, it's they're unbelievable. Just, they don't know what to do. It's actually funny. I find it interesting just this week when this story came out, the Arizona Re- Republic, I call it the Arizona Repugnant, it's gotten that bad, our local paper. It's always been has bad. Doing public comments on any of the stories they put out. They know the public is fed up with them. The mainstream media is starting to fall apart. The wheels are coming off. You saw the hundreds of layoffs at the L.A. Times. Mm-hmm. People have just stunned the lies of the media. And thank God for people like you, Glenn. You've been around for a long time telling the truth. And thank God for the alternative media that's popping up and the independent journalists, we now have places to go where we can get the unfiltered truth and we don't have to depend on these propagandists. What is the biggest 
um, thing that you would want to take on in Congress? Why in in the Senate? Who who would you allow uh, ally your ally uh, yourself with? Mm. Wow, that's a good question. I you know I, I like a lot of. I think there are a lot of good senators. I love I love Rand Paul. I love Mike Lee. Of course, they're they're fighters. Um, I've gotten to know John Barrasso, and I think he's a good man. But I, I want to just go and represent the people of Arizona. I don't want to become part of a clique. I don't want to definitely don't want to become part of the back scratching club huh. that uh, that Jeff talked about. Despicable. Or the backstabbing club. I'm sure there's one of those. I'd rather be in the butt kicking club, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and and I want to take on the border. And I, I say that with a bit of reluctance because I have a feeling that I'm hoping the border is going to be taken on before then. I mean, we, how much longer can we take? Can we wait until January of 25? What do you think about uh, er, uh, about uh, Texas saying that it's an invasion and uh, calling up the National Guard and the fact that the Democrats are saying the president needs to federalize them and take that power away from the, the governor? Well, I, I was the first, when I ran for governor, I was the first candidate in the country to come up with a border plan, and it called for me on day one, uh, taking the oath of office to declare an invasion and put the National Guard on the border, take yeah. back the right and control of our border. Exactly what's happening I now. Know, I remember. Gonna... I wish somebody would have done it when you didn't. I wish somebody would have taken your idea and done a little earlier, but we're here now, and it is clearly yeah, an invasion. I'm glad, um, I'm glad it's happening. And yeah. somebody said to me at the time, well, what if the... What if Joe Biden sues you? What if he, I go, sue me. What's he going to do, arrest the yeah. governor? Yeah, bring, bring it, it on. on. So it's, Carrie, this is a fight worth having. Thank you so much. Uh, she is a um, candidate for the U.S. Senate, uh, Senate in Arizona, uh, and she has made an awful lot of news this week. That's Carrie Lake, carrylake.com. You want to support her? Find out more about her at Carrie, K-A-R-I, lake.com. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. Our good friend, Thomas Massey. Hello, Thomas. How you doing, Glenn? I'm good. I'm good. I got a couple of things to talk to you about. Uh, but I, I would really like to hear what is happening with the January 6th pipe bomb. There is so much breaking news on this this week that it is it's shocking Shocking. Yeah. Well, let me tell you where this all started. When we took the majority, remember, the Democrats had the majority for two years. When we took the majority, it became possible for us to go look at the videos of January 6th. So my staff sat over there and watched dozens of hours. We found something that had never been released. I worked for weeks. I finally got uh, went all the way to the top, got Kevin McCarthy to, to pull some levers, and I got a video released of the second pipe bomb being discovered. They've never talked about who discovered the second pipe bomb. So then uh, I got to talk to the assistant director this is of the FBI. This is the guy in charge of the investigation. For two years, he was in charge of this investigation. And, and, and it wasn't just a little chit-chat, and it wasn't five minutes in a hearing. We had several hours with him in a deposition, a transcribed mm. interview. And I put these questions to him, for instance— How does a one-hour kitchen timer on these bombs, how does it supposed to set the bomb off 17 hours later? Uh, Because 
remember the FBI said, oh, these were planted the night before. We've got videotape of this person walking around putting these bombs out, one at the RNC, one at the DNC. But when they were the next day, the question is, how the heck can they go off? And he 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 told me, I said, do you I asked him, do you think they intended for the bomb to go off the next day? He said, I can't speculate on that, sir. I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think it was technically possible for a kitchen timer? No, no. He said, I said, that has a one hour duration. He said, no. I said to detonate a bomb 17 hours later. He said, no, I don't. (laughs) And how come they both stopped at 20 minutes till? Yeah. I mean, what are the odds? The synchronicity of, of the discovery of these two bombs. My question is, how hard did they look for the third bomb? How did they know there were just two bombs? They're, they're like, all right, let's wrap this bomb thing up. We got them both. Uh, but well, that's kind of their attitude. The The interesting it's- thing is um, the video you released uh, shows that the the source was a yep. Capitol Police officer, right? Uh, off-duty uh, I have not interviewed that person yet. They okay. say plain clothes. Plain clothes. Okay. Officer. So Capitol yeah. Police officer finds the bomb. And the picture is comical because it's just sitting in front of the bushes. It clearly, I mean, it looks, it, all it's missing is acme on the uh, front of it. It looks like a pipe bomb with a, you know, wires coming out of a kitchen timer. All right? It's ridiculous. Right. Nobody, nobody finds this. Just about 20 minutes before uh, the vote is going down, a plainclothes police officer happens to spot it. And then he goes over casually to the uh, Secret Service, talks to them casually for a while, then goes around the other side of the window, talks to that officer, then leaves, and the Secret Service don't leave their car. Then children. Yeah, kids. Children are walking by. Oh my gosh! A whole group of little children are walking by, and the FBI is not saying, or the Secret Service are not saying, "Hey, can you cross on the other side of the street, please?" Nothing. Nothing. How is that happening? What did uh, he say? <laughs> he he. I said, "Would that person who?" By the way, I don't know for sure that it was a plainclothes uh, Capitol Hill police okay, officer. All right. I don't know that for certain until I talk to that person. But I have reason to believe that's probably true. I asked him at the time, before we knew that fact or suspected that fact, I said, would, that, would the people who found these bombs be suspects? And he said, absolutely. That's investigation 101. And I said, well, who found the bomb? He said, I don't know. <laughs> and like, oh, but he's been running it for two years. For two years. Here's the other thing. I asked him, okay, how confident are you that the person you have on video the night before is the person who planted those bombs? He said, very, very confident. They said, well, how did that work when you went to, did you use the cell phone data? Did you geofence and and locate this person? And this is when he told me what is unbelievable to me. And he said, I don't want to start any conspiracy theories, but the, the data was corrupted. From one of the providers, and that's probably why we couldn't get the, well, we can't figure out who this person was. The data was corrupted. They can find the thousands of grandmas and go break down the nursing home doors to throw them in jail, but the data was corrupted on that guy. Wow. it's, uh, It's the dog ate my homework explanation that just doesn't match up. Did you, did you? Did you ask him about the video that they have shown that is at a 
a frame rate that no security camera has ever had? I asked him about that. I asked another in a follow-up inter- uh, briefing from the FBI that I had just before Christmas. I asked another person about that and the alternate angles. They've got different angles from that camera that they seem to not be releasing or showing us that would show the person actually placing the bomb the night before. Right. Remember, we've got video of a person, but we have no video of him placing it. Placing, right. On either near the DNC was actually closer to the Capitol Hill Club than the DNC. And we have no video of them placing it at the, at the RNC. Sorry, RNC, D, uh, Capitol Hill Club are next to each other. DNC is further down the street. Um, so I asked, you know, I asked the you know, assistant director in charge. This is Stephen D'Antuano. He's since retired from the FBI, by and, the way. And by the oh, way, he, wait, wait, wait. He's also the guy that got a promotion. He was in uh, Michigan. He was the guy who thwarted and oversaw the operation on the Whitmer kidnapping case, which was a joke and thrown out. So he, because of that great success, he was transferred and put into Washington, D.C., which is, a, is the place that everybody's trying to get to. And then after this, he suddenly resigns. It's weird. What happened? Yeah, well, well, not until he had a non-investigation for two years of the pipe bomb. For you know, I've talked to people who live in that vicinity. They have townhouses near where the person allegedly placed the bombs the night before, and where the bombs were found. They weren't talked to until months later. Like you have to be there. The the evidence starts disappearing. You know, within hours. For instance, as this person walked around the neighborhood. There's Wi-Fi. Did you go check the Wi-Fi routers? Did their Wi-Fi try to connect to somebody's cell phone? Mm-hmm. Did Bluetooth devices try to connect? Um, there was no effort, as far as we can tell, and as far as I know from talking to the people that own townhouses around there, to do that. There's a complete lack of diligence here. Let me ask you, um, you know, uh, motive plays a real role here. Um, who would have the motive to place bombs in a place where you know it's going to be 20 minutes before the vote and the vice president is inside of that building. Who has, who would have motive of doing that? Really, 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 really bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. Or those who are trying to uh, put together a setup, correct? A narrative. Right, correct. okay. It, but if the indictment, the indictments on all the J, or, well, I don't know if it's all the J sixers. I just learned this last night from Kyle Serafin. He says that the pipe bombs are mentioned in the narrative, that, you know, that was used to oh indict. Oh my everyone. gosh! So Not, you have trying. this, you have this narrative. Except, if it was really nefarious people, why wouldn't the vice president, the DNC? Uh, the media, everybody else, why wouldn't they be digging into this story and talking about these pipe bombs? For two years, we've not heard anything about these pipe bombs. Why? What would the motivation be if it was planted by somebody nefarious? Are they suddenly just becoming just very, very, very Christ-like and saying, well, we can forgive and forget? (laughs) 
uh, by the way, it was the incoming vice president who was like 30 feet from this bomb for right. what what would have been, you know, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, why have they not played that up? In fact, they kept the fact that she was at the DNC where this pipe bomb was out of public knowledge for a long time. Then, but why wouldn't they use that to say, look, correct? the first you know, African-American female vice president was almost murdered on Correct. January 6th. It is the most bomb. egregious part of January 6th, if it would have happened. And if you believe those were nefarious people that put those in, you would be all over that. You know, if we found, you know, uh, the bombs in the World Trade Center wired to the uh, wired to the uh, uh, the pillars and we caught it in time, we would be saying they planted bombs. Thank God they didn't go off on the pillars of the World Trade Center. Why right. wouldn't you do that with this? You know, with the Boston bombing, they were at the Macy's where the pressure cooker was was purchased within 36 hours. They had identified the you know where the pressure cooker came from and they were getting the video off of the macy's camera within 36 hours of that bombing so there's we can let me ask the question the other way so what what would the motive of the bad guy be what would the motive of the quote you know air quote good guys be to not diligently follow all these leads to just sort of try to memory hole this whole episode of these two pipe bombs and I would say the motive is uh, the most charitable interpretation is that they were Keystone cops and they don't want to be embarrassed by they were terrible yes. at doing all of this. And they're embarrassed. They they're more the charitable than I am. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't believe it. I'm saying that's the charitable. I think the more probable uh, motive is that they were somehow involved, just like in the Michigan case mm-hmm. where. Uh, you know, they were trying to you were poking either. And I'm not saying it's, it's somebody who gets a, you know, goes to a cubicle at FBI or somewhere and, and draws a salary. Maybe these were assets mm-hmm. and they were running something to try to ensnare anybody who was thinking of having, mm-hmm. you know, pipe bombs there. Well, they would gravitate toward this effort if it was hanging out there um, in the, you know, subversive underground. But They've totally, they're just totally trying to memory hold this. I'm trying to get this out there. Um, by the way, it was Darren Beatty of Revolver News. Who he's would doing not great work. Go. Oh, he's doing great work. Great he's, work. He's the one I, I first showed the, well, I couldn't show him the video. I told him what I saw in the video. And then when I, uh, you know, did the transcribed interview of the assistant deputy of the FBI who was in charge of the D.C. field office, he, you know, Darren was like, I think you should ask these questions and this question. And why didn't they do that? And um, I would encourage people. We've released that transcript just recently of me interviewing D'Antuano. And folks should read that. I mean, this is the guy who was in charge of the investigation for two years. And he has no theory on, on why these pipe bombs had one-hour timers and we're set 17 right. hours before we'll get somebody on that on my staff get them to tweet that out right away so you can read it uh, back yep. with do you have a second can i ask you another yep. question uh the other guy that really needs uh credit in this is scott baker from the blaze and we would ask that you would pray for him uh he's on the verge of oh steve baker i'm sorry 
Um, what is happening? I'm turning into Joe Biden. Uh, but Steve Baker uh, has done just tremendous work, and please pray for him. And Scott, I don't know if Scott needs Scott's him, great but throw him in. But, throw uh, him in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Steve, we, we fear, is, I mean, he's been notified he's going to be arrested uh, any day now for his coverage on all of this. Such a, you, you talk to him, he's such, such an aggressive, scary guy. Oh, he is, not he, though? You can tell. Yeah, yeah. He, he puts you on the edge immediately. Yeah, mm-hmm. not at all. Not at all. Um, so, Thomas, there's been another couple of breaking things. One broke, I think, yesterday or this morning that um, we have now a memo uh, from, I think it was the CDC, saying that we can't release the fact that myocarditis may be a side effect of this because we'll panic America. Did you see this? Um, I did see that. And, uh, you know, I want to add something to this. I'm doing my own investigation of the FDA, uh, and I've done two transcribed interviews that haven't been released yet, and I plan to do a hearing. Uh, the two people in charge of vaccine approval at the FDA, each of whom had 30 years of experience, were forced out in the fall of 2021 yep. when, they, when they got orders from, from uh, the Biden administration to go from emergency use and to a full-on license. I remember because, this. Because they wanted to do mandates. And they felt like unless they had a license, they couldn't do the mandates. So these are these are people who were in charge of the vaccine approval at the FDA. And they were basically forced out, resigned because they were removed of all of their responsibilities. I've got several hours of transcribed interviews with them. When when you have this ready, please come to Dallas. I'll spend the whole day going through it with you. I'd love to expose that. This is the, the 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 unexplained or um, what do they call it over the you know overachiever deaths or whatever they call it the excess yeah. deaths is pretty phenomenal and that nobody well they are overachievers they're trying of overachievers the right description <laughs> I want my I want my death to count anyway um, it is By the way. truly frightening. Yeah, it, it, you know, there were signals. This is this is long past that memo you're talking about. You know, this is the fall of 2021. The memo right. you're talking about was almost as soon as the vaccines came out, I think, in January, February. But they uh, they knew well about myocarditis and these other side effects. But by the way, I, these these are actually what I would call kind of the the mythical people who are apolitical who just go about doing their jobs for decades inside of the government. They believe in the real science, not the science with the trademark beside it. Right. And I, I couldn't tell you if they're Republican or Democrat, haven't asked them, but they left because they were being told to ignore the science and to skip all of the things they knew that were right to do. Uh, this, I mean, we're in a very dangerous place right now because the deep state and all of the people that are so corrupt there it's all coming undone and it's going to be exposed and when that happens uh that's when those people panic um don't panic we are on the winning side truth is coming out as always thomas Massey, massey thank you for being on the program thanks glenn you bet 